I think um, community and culture in these environments are the best thing. It keeps worker morale up. We help the dogs better. You're willing to do a bit of OT for free um, because it just is what it is. And, um, you know, but if we can get volunteers and fosterers all on board to be consistent, I think that's what's going to help um, these sort of places. And some rescue organizations, they smash it out. They do the best job. It's the shelters and the pounds where they, they, they cop it a little bit harder because um, a lot more pressure. You know, and if you're a rescue, you can choose which dog comes in a lot of the time. Where if you're at the shelter, this is a dog that was found on the street. And Sydney doesn't catch them. We covered 12 councils um, in Sydney. That's, that's a lot of dogs. Welcome to Life With Your Dog podcast. Our focus is educating dog owners, enthusiasts, and dog trainers about ideas on how to train, manage, live, and thrive with our dogs. To teach dogs to live in our society while our dogs teach us how to live in the now. I'm your host, Panos Anagnostu. And I'm your co-host, Luke Badman. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you enjoy the show. All right, welcome back to another episode of Life With Your Dog podcast. I'm joined yeah. over Zoom by my co-host, Panos. What's going on, man? Yeah, buddy. Yeah, buddy. Um, yeah, I mean, good, bro. How you doing? Good, good. Shadow's that's like uh, 19 and a half weeks now, so we're making yeah, progress. Yeah, sick. Yeah, that's awesome. I've been watching the stories. It's looking cute. Yeah, he's getting funny. smarter every day. Yeah, he's growing yeah, yeah. quickly. Yeah, very exciting. We've been, stuff. I've been working this week. We've been working more on his down command. Yeah, um, and I've got him at a point now where he'll do that for the toy as well. So that's pretty cool. Beautiful, beautiful. Mm. Getting into that training phase of things. That's mm-hmm. awesome. Fuck yeah. Um, wow. Well, look, we're we're doing this by Zoom because we're supposed to meet up, but we got sick, and it's like let's not spread our germs. So Zoom, it is, my bro. Life got in the way. Yeah, at quarter to eight at night. So we're we're doing good tonight. Little man's asleep. Yeah, yeah. And, and um, we got a we got a whole bunch of uh, well, we got one email from a very enthusiastic listener. I'm, I hope I don't butcher this name. It's Saharai Salazar. I hope I'm yeah. pronouncing that correctly. And um, I don't know if that's a male or a female. To be honest, no, it's a female. We, we, female? We've, been, we've been chatting. Yeah, we've been chatting through um through yeah, Instagram awesome. for a little bit. Um, she heard us on on the um Canon Paradise episode. She'd be listening to our episode. Yeah, she's um she's one of the managers, I believe, at the shelter that she works. I should have got a little bit more info about where specifically she is, but she's in America. Um, awesome. to my knowledge, far out. Maybe awesome. she's not, but I'm pretty sure she's. And if yeah, not, we're getting like about a third of our listeners, maybe maybe it's a bit more actually from the states now. So that's pretty cool. So shout out to all our American friends. Look, so. I really hope she's from from America because now I'm like she's going to be like, no, nah, dude, I'm from wherever. So <laughs> especially if she's Canadian and you called her American, she won't like that. I did that today with my client actually. I'm like, oh, oh really? American. He's like, oh, I'm Canadian. I'm like, sorry. He's like, no, it's cool. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually um yeah. So like, look, we got a whole bunch of questions from her. Um, she's she and look, I'm looking here. Yeah, she's from America. Sweet. All right, let's just we'll roll through them and um and obviously you've got she, a lot. Well, got a lot no, of let's give it a back a, a little bit of um a, a backlog is that she messaged me about um you know she works in the shelter environment. She's one of the managers there. She's someone who works a lot with the um with with all of the the dogs that were on the euthanasia list. Um, mm-hmm. so obviously behavior wise, and she's got a few issues because obviously, you know, I mentioned in that um, episode with the boys that we, um, you know, I had my own issues um, at the shelter, you know, and, and acting as a manager for a little bit there while things were a bit, um, a little bit different. 
mm-hmm. she heard the like the same sort of I guess emotion from me, and she felt a little bit less alone, is what she said, and she felt that she appreciated what she heard, um, and we had this conversation. She didn't really have a specific question, so I asked her hit us up with some questions, and me and Luke are going to discuss about it. So that's a little bit of where that's where the um, the questions are are coming from mm-hmm. and hopefully we can answer look obviously this is a very heated topic as well you know it's very emotional homeless mm-hmm. dogs are at the shelter mm-hmm. you know welfare is important um you know and doing the right thing and sometimes that's that's the hardest thing that you can do and mm-hmm. um, it can get very emotional it can get very political it can also get um very oh you know sometimes you have to get straight to the point so some of the things that we're going to talk about aren't going to be in full detail but also mm-hmm. some things may not even be popular um, for people to hear but I'll give my honest opinion and then we can go from there. We're not here to be popular. We've never, we've never tried to go down that route on the show. So I think people who listen appreciate that we try and. Yeah. Well, it's not even about being about popular and people are going to get real triggered by it. You know what I mean? Maybe not. Maybe some people want to hear what, what, what I have to think about it. And then obviously um, you can tell me what you feel about it. But anyway, some of the things are going to be a little bit like, Oh, that kind of sucks. That's the reality of it. But Mm. um. But anyway, let's get into those questions now. So you read them out and then we talk. All right, let's go. Uh, Hey, Panos, here are some questions I came up with. Number one, what are some of the biggest constraints or limitations shelter workers face when working with the dogs? You got A, B, C, and D. Yeah, yeah, sweet. All right. Okay, so the first one, A, time. Lack of time to work with dogs, especially shelters without dedicated departments for medical, behavioural, adoptions kennel staff etc yeah that sucks you know and the, the biggest thing about even all of these a to h is all comes down to our constraints and limitations and it all comes down to money you know um especially when you're um government run and and even if you're a charitable charitable one it mm. it can be very difficult because you've popular. got experience with both as well you you've had time at both a like a local government one as well as one that's run as as more of a private organization right so they're obviously very yeah. different the way they're structured the budget and their policies and that sort of thing well look i think obviously the the council give grants to each dog that comes in and there's a there's a process mm-hmm. in that but everything else like you know the the running of the place has to be done by by donations and by adoptions and things like that so obviously being seeing at the council run there's a lot more it's, it's a little bit more up to date, you know, with some of the utilities, not state of the art, but it's not still from the seventies or something, you know, yeah. like the, um, with the, um, the private one was, a, it was a little bit ancient because far out, you know, it's very hard to, to keep that all going. It's on, expensive, on right? Cost. Yeah. It's mm. super expensive. So, um, so yeah, so time, well, lack of time comes down to, I guess, same thing as even the next one is staffing, minimal staff, C's environment, loud chaotic smells. Like we'll just go A, B and C. If you haven't got the time to deal with every single dog and that comes down to minimal staff and what's it often skeleton crew, what does that mean? That's like bare minimum, right? Minimum staff. Skeleton crew means yeah. like, yeah, the bare minimum. Yeah. Yeah. So like, like it's, it's a resource issue. Yeah. Yeah. It sucks. And then of course the environment. So not only is it um, emotional and stressful, but then it's loud, chaotic, and she says lots of smells. So mm, obviously exposure to triggers, Lack people and dogs walking medical. by yeah look i think well i guess i you know what what are the, i think it's a kind of self evident when there's not as many people that that are working on site then 
you know, that means every single dog that's there gets a little bit less time. Obviously, you can rely on volunteers to help walking and do some of the enrichment. But when it comes to staff, people have to be allocated specifically for that job. For them to, like the, the runnings of a shelter is intense. It's like, not only do you have to keep the kennels clean, you've got to make sure the dogs are clean, everyone gets fed. The cleaning is the biggest job. You're cleaning mm. blankets, you're cleaning towels, you're cleaning bowls. Um, Scooping cleaning, poo all day. Mm. Yeah, not just scooping poo, you got to remove the, the urine and the feces. You've got to hose everything down, give it disinfectant, scrub it there. You've got to dry it, wait for it to dry. Where does that dog go in that time? So there's so much stuff going on, not to mention the dog's actual behavior. Sometimes if there isn't anyone that's dedicated to it, the dogs aren't getting any training except for whatever the volunteers can do. Mm. And so one thing that can help in, in this situation, we'll just quickly read over the, the, the rest of basically talking about budget housing constraints in high volume shelters, especially low income areas and safety concerns. So some dogs are dangerous um, to work with, especially the lack of safety equipment provided. So all of that comes down to obviously if we can make more money and resources, um, yeah, yeah, more resources, obviously that comes in the back end and the admin side of things um, and how you, I guess, advertise. But, um, but when it comes to the, the daily runnings, the best thing to do is try to get as many good volunteers on board and then training those volunteers of what to do. So having local um, dog trainers help out um, and also, you know, having a, a, a bit of a policy or, or a bit of a um, system set up. So this is how we walk the dogs. This is the consistency of it because if we're not help and then also helping with um, taking some of the heat off the staff so they can do their job. So I think that could be, that could be a, a big one that, um, that could really help because the volunteers are getting a lot of the time with the dogs. And I'm not sure if the shelter that she's working at has volunteers, but if we can get all the easier dogs to be worked on, they're going for their basic walks, they're working on sits and recall and, you know, just some real basic, um, you know, elementary level dog training stuff, then those dogs have a bit of a foundation so that they're ready for the next home. They're getting their enrichment and that's where staff that are dedicated to the harder dogs, depending on how many harder dogs you have at a time you can spend more time working with them. So I guess, you know, be be adaptive with that. Um, the issue with the training side of things as well is like, like you said, a lot of the, you know, the vast majority of these people are volunteers. So they're already giving up their time um, to volunteer. So, and so then the question is, well, what sort of background or experience or training do they have themselves? Because obviously it costs money to qualify as a dog trainer. So you know, is someone going to qualify? And then it's obviously really nice, like someone like yourself who can who can volunteer at the shelter, but maybe they don't always have um, the people who are able to volunteer may not necessarily have put money or that sort of thing into learning like a formal dog training education, right? So you, they've got to have the tools themselves if they're going to train the dogs. No, I, I guess I know what you're saying, 100% for sure. It's not a feasible thing. Um, what I meant is have a local dog trainer come down and then teach the volunteers. Mm. Um, that could be. That's what that's I mean. What I so you've got, to, you've got to equip these people. For sure. Or look, you know, yeah. put, put some money aside and then and then do some sort of incentive for, for these people to come. But if, so what I was doing is at first I, would, I had a bit of time. I'd go there and work on the hard dogs myself and, you know, do this stuff. But I'm there once a week. That I found that that wasn't mm. really anything that I can do. So while I was there, I would spend time with certain volunteers. Hey, work on this, practice these things. And this isn't about specific dog stuff. Like this Oscar, the dog, we're not specifically doing training just for this dog. We're working on Oscar now so you can learn skills so you can work it with the other dogs. And all the dogs generally have a the same sort of behavioral thing that we want to work on. 
stop barking in the kennel, stop lunging out of the, the door so quick and um, just working on more focus and engagement on the handler. Like you can teach specific commands and all that, but that's not the aim and the goal. No. The aim and the goal for it is more about, let's just teach these dogs super, super fa- um, fundamental stuff. Um, mm. You know, like walk on the left hand side. When yeah. I say look, yeah, a bit of engagement yeah. work. Um, you know, rewarding the right behavior, stop patting the dogs when they're jumping, you know, and have some treats or yeah. Equip every single one of the volunteers with a treat pouch, with food, like, you know, have hot dogs, someone cuts them up for the Mm. day. And the, and the, and the knowledge to use those techniques. So exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's what we're doing for ages. Yeah. Yeah. If the train, if the, the volunteers are in the deep end without any sort of knowledge, then they're not set up, they're not set up for success and then neither are the dogs. Mm, Exactly. And also, Look, the hardest thing is training volunteers. That's the hardest thing to do um, because everyone's got their own agenda. They've got their own mindset. Yeah, that's the thing, right? Because they're not technically employees. So it's kind of like this weird dynamic where it's like, I'm kind of here on my own terms. I'm not, you can't really technically, like you can not invite them back, but they're not, you know what I mean? They don't work for the shelter. So it it is, it's a different dynamic. You can't fire them. They don't work for them. yeah, you can make rules and you can like tell people not to come, but it's not the right thing to do. I think that's what I'm saying. Most like people, it's a, it's yeah. a very different, yeah, it's because it's not an employee employer dynamic. It's like, yeah, everyone's and everyone's there on their own terms. Plus, being that it's dogs and it's rescue dogs, there's a lot of emotion getting involved, and everyone's very might have different opinions on how things should be trained, training techniques, training equipment, yada, yada, yada. I think they all want to do it. It's just they lack skill and timing, and usually they're, usually older people because younger people have to work free time. Yeah. You know, so, and then having the people that are skillful, strong enough, and then, and then have time Mm. to be able to deal with the actual strong dogs Mm. that want to do damage. So it's all very difficult. So I guess, um, I hope that answered question one. Let's talk about question two. All right. Number two, what do you recommend as areas of focus? Uh, a upon hire staff and volunteers focused on unstructured walks. Uh, is that what she meant? B yep. switched to behavioral modification for isolation dogs and later basic obedience for dogs on the adoption floor. And C now incorporating heavy enrichment. I'm I'm pretty sure I'm not supposed to pick A, B, or C, and I think we just should be talking about A, B. I think C. she's more like yeah, yeah. She's like yeah, these okay. are the areas. Yes. Okay. So, what do you recommend as areas of focus? So, I guess we kind of talked a little bit about staff volunteers focus on unstructured walks. Is that you want to show them how what you want to do, but also not going too technical. We don't need like complete, full, proper, loose lead walking. If mm, she's written unstructured walks, but I, does she think? Does she mean structured books? Possibly. focused on. Unstructured walks is what she's written here. But let's okay, go with structured you... walks, right? Because that's what we teach. That's what we teach, a loose leash walk on the left. Yeah. Ideally, we keep the dog on the left-hand side. Maybe in America, they're like on the right, whatever. Um, <laughs> they but, drive um, on the other walk... side as well. <laughs> walk down the street. Put the, if you if we can, what I what I would like to do with people that are competent, um, put the dog on a long lead. Um, obviously, not to engage with other dogs, just to give them a bit of a run around, engage with them, throw the ball with them. You know, obviously making sure safety and all that's um, um, all agreed upon. Obviously, I would not be giving volunteers the dogs that are dog and people aggressive, and that is strictly for staff only. Mm. Um, what should they be focused on? They should, the only things that when I went there, so for example, 
two weeks ago, went to the shelter. It's been a while since I've been there, since COVID and everything. And I focused this one because there was no volunteers around and there was like three dogs and 80 cats. So there wasn't <laughs> um, much much happening there. So, what so we if you're in the market in that, for a cat, go to the Sutherland Shire Animal Shelter. And yeah, them. man, cats have gone crazy. I think while the three days um, from before I got there, three cats had given birth. So it was just oh, like shit. three litters just of cats everywhere. Did, wait, how um, many kittens in a litter usually? I don't know, like eight or something, six, eight. Oh, okay. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, anyway, so um, what we focused on was how to walk in and out of the kennel properly, not just opening candles and dogs barging out. Because the yeah, thing that we calling out, of course, coming through, coming through, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, not catching dogs it, in, in those like, uh, what's the word? Like the Transitional the, spaces. Yeah, those spaces like yeah. around corners and in narrow exactly. like hallways and stuff like that. Yeah, like and see, and to avoid things like that, we need to work on well, how should we enter and exit the kennel appropriately so it's good for us, we don't hurt ourselves, and the dog doesn't get out. Um, and it's effective time management, whatever. Um, but also, we talked about how to hold the leash, um, how to use a slip lead. We talked about markers and a little bit about how markers work. So, we want to be able to reinforce the dogs just walking past the dog. You got a tree pouch, you're on the way from dog A to dog H. As you're walking past, you say, Yes, chuck the food in the kennel. Yes, chuck the food in the kennel. Just do that. Start charging that marker as much as possible. Um, why not? Why not? Yes is usually yep. most people's verbal uh, marker. Without a food. marker, you've got nothing else. So, yeah, like, you know, it just makes some life so much easier. So, I showed him how to do that. Always have a tree pouch with high value food um, with you at all times. And um, just working on super basic things like that. We walked, we talked about how to get the dog. And this dog in particular is a bulldog. And we had right next to it was a Labradoodle. And she was quite reactive. She wanted to barge out of the kennel and just bark. Labradoodle in had, the shelter. I, I wouldn't have. Yeah, I think that. she was getting picked up. She was getting picked up that day. I think she was just mm. walking the streets. Mm. Um, she got she got lost or something. Okay. Um, so um, anyway, so coming out of the kennel. Most people let the dog run out. The dog goes straight to the left, knows where the dog is, and then there can be an incident um, between the, the the kennel gate. So um, we just talk about real basics. Now, for me, super, super basic, but, you know, you find that when I worked at the shelter, there was no education, no training. I basically had to learn all of it um, by hand and also learning it from others, but no one really had a like a really good system. It was just mm. grab Common the dog. Common sense isn't common, right? No, like get the dog moving from here to there. Like even when I worked at the boarding kennels, um, I would get to a point where, because we were with the dogs all day, every day, you, you open the kennel and I never had a dog run past me. They would just sit and wait because they knew they may potentially get rewarded. And it did take a little bit of time at first. And it does seem counterintuitive to spend the time at first to teach these dogs. We are sitting before the gate opens. No, we're sitting before the gate opens and just constantly before going into the kennel rather, and then rewarding the dog appropriately. The dog's, in three, four days, we'll do it straight away. And then it actually makes it easier in the long term. And if you're in the habit of doing this, obviously you've got to choose which dogs you're going to do it with. Some dogs, you know, they're going to come in and within seven days, they're going to be adopted. You just know the type of dog. You just don't work that much on the easier dogs. But the ones that are going to be there for months and months and maybe years, yes, of course, make sure you're in a habit. So that way they're the dogs fall into habits just as a byproduct of you being structured. Same thing with the walks. And, um, and I hope that answers that question. What should we focused on is consistency and basics and consistency. Have someone there come down, pay a trainer to come down. Or if you do it yourself, if, cause what I said to him is like, I've gotten even busier now. I'm not going to be able to come too often. So mm -hmm. let's teach you guys to all do the things that are the same and 
it's going to be interesting because in two weeks, we're going to go back there again. And I want to see what's happening. And now we're going to create a bit. Now there's been a, a couple of new staff members over the last year. So, um, so it's good to start fresh because we've been doing this for six years there. And, um, and there has been a good culture and Lisa, who's the manager there is all over it. And she has shout out Lisa. Like, yeah. And, and, and there's a little bit of, um, issues with, with her coming on because of council or whatever, but I would love to get Lisa on so we can talk more in detail about this because we're a really mm. good team and, and lots of love for her. Um, switch of behavior uh, modification f- for isolation dogs, later basic obedience for adoption dogs. Yeah. All the, uh, all the adoption dogs all on the floor, just yeah. working on the basic, like what we said, but behavior modification. Yeah. You isolate those dogs in terms of away from the volunteer normal program. And then you work on those dogs until you get to a good point of being able to see if they're, up for adoption or not, um, you know, and, and then now incorporating having enrichment all the time or food. I would, if you have time again, time, time, and who the hell's going to clean Kongs and things like that, because Kongs take ages to clean, try to clean 80 yeah. of them. It's ridiculous. Um, and we tried it. Um, but, um, if you can find any form of food enrichment instead of feeding them from the bowl, or if you can have volunteers that are keen and good or, um, to be able to use that food for training, you know, things like that can really help. But, you know, I know most of the food that the dogs get as well is depending as well. Like, you know, when we, for example, when I was at the privately owned shelter, they had just all food that we were using was either um, like donated in and we just mix all the bags together and we just, whatever yeah. the dogs get, they get. And it was not never really good quality food and a dog that had having behavioral issues, eating shit every day, you know, and if you have a couple of cans of food, shit in, shit out. Can, you know, and just not good. But for again, that's a resource thing, right? Like it's a balance. It's like, yes. but ultimately like maybe putting more money into the food translates to possibly less behavioral issues down, behavioral issues down the track, Definitely, you know? Yeah. Well, I like, think about like the RSPCA, they get all the massive donations because everyone thinks, oh, RSPCA dogs, like that's just, that's the mm. go-to, but no one's yep. thinking of Sydney dogs and cats. No one's thinking of Southern Shire Animal Shelter or Blacktown mm. Pound. No one's thinking about all these, even all the other privately owned rescues like this. There's more issue. The real issue is why the, I wish they didn't, we didn't have to have this many shelters and this mm. many rescue organizations, mm. but that's a whole conversation. Um, I hope that answered number two, you know, as I said, okay. It's, it's pretty good. It's a pretty look. It's a pretty long list. So we're definitely not going to get through like there's 12 questions. Yeah. We're not going to get yeah, through yeah. all these in one episode, um, but we're exactly. going to do our best. So we're let's pretty move. good for time. What's the time now? Well, how oh yeah, no, we're good. We've only been like good. half an hour. Yeah. So, um, okay. Number did three. Did I answer that what, question? Do you reckon? Yeah. 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 Cool. Well, cool. Sahara is not here to answer us. So we're going to go with know. yes. Okay. If you have follow up <laughs> questions, just send them through. Um, but let's keep moving. Okay. What kinds of dogs? to focus staff time and energy on uh, a euthanasia list, people, aggressive dog, aggressive resource guarding B fixing less extreme issues with adoptable dogs, jumping escape tendencies, leash pulling mild to moderate dog and leash reactivity. C fearful dogs, fear-based aggression. We typically see a relatively higher and faster turnaround for these dogs compared to other issues, even in more severe cases, volunteers and staff enjoy working with them the most. They find it very rewarding gaining their trust and bonding with them. Mm-hmm. I guess this is. I weird. feel like all of these questions, you know, they have this, there is a theme because, the, yeah. you know, we have limited resources. Time is a resource. Money is a resource. 
and so like that's what she's asking i i have i'm i'm faced with limited staff limited time mm-hmm. limited money you know what do i focus on yes in all of exactly. these things whether that's where i'm where i'm assigning you know human resources where i'm assigning um, financial resources time resources right that's basically what all of these questions are coming down to this is what we're going to do i'm going to get the establishment where Saharai works and we're going to put that in the description and then if anyone wants to send any donations or anything if they're local to there you know who to help um and hopefully hopefully i can bring a bit of awareness and i think that's the biggest thing right is that if we you know, if there was a billionaire that gave a million dollars to the shelter every few years, that'd be awesome. You know, you have everything that you need and most of these dogs won't have to be on a euthanasia list. Mm. Let's talk about euthanasia list, right? Is that you're not going to save all the dogs. We all know that. And I think, and I definitely know Saharai knows that as well. She knows that we're not saving them all and no. not all of them can be saved because no. of these, because of the fact that there's no homes, there's no special farms for these dogs where they all get to hang and have a happy life. Um, and and, so and that's really like the, everyone that's listening, like the, for your average pet owner, the most responsible thing you can do is to have your dog fixed, you know? <sighs> yeah. That's that really what a lot of this comes Wait, down on. to, you especially the dog. I mean, desexed. Yes, exactly. I mean, 100%. Yeah, spayed and 100%. neutered. And, and also, this all comes down to, to um, accidental mating and, and, and then you end up with all these excess dogs. Um, being yeah. you know bred in backyards and that kind of thing, and then inevitably a lot of them end up in pounds, and that's. But look, a lot of people have these dogs and they surrender them to the shelters. Like, look, we can't. I've got this dog and he's fucking out of control. So you know, mm. bad training, bad experience, bad genetics, blah blah, or whatever. And now he's people aggressive. Um, he's a year and a half old, and he's a, you know, an American staffy mix, which is basically eighty percent of the dogs that you see at the shelters at these days, um, or especially in our area anyway. Um, you know, he's dog aggressive, or he's heavily resource guarding. Now, look, obviously, um, and we spoke, and there's a video that Zaharai put up, and she's like. With all the really intense dogs, and you know they're they're, they're very fearful. A lot of them um, are very aggressive, and she works specifically with these dogs to make sure that they can be rehomable. And she's had lots of success, um, and it was really cool to see. It was a cool video that she put together. Um, and right at the end, you get to see the seven different pictures of different dog bites on her arms and legs, and she's she went to full detail about the last time. So she's she's a warrior. She's putting herself out there. I'm going to say I told her be careful because the, um, you know obviously getting bitten um, has, has many different issues um, associated with that, especially um, when it's your job, you know? So um, I know it comes with the territory and, and getting bitten by these dogs that you don't know and they don't trust you. It's, it's tough gig, man. So, you know, um, but I want, what I want to say is you can't save them more. And sometimes the worst thing you can do is let one of these dogs go back into this, into society. Um, a child gets um, injured or, 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 you know, or fatally wounded. Um, another dog gets like another person's pet gets killed. It's just, and we see that all too often. I'm like, man, this dog shouldn't have been rehomed. And I love dogs. I don't want it to happen, but this dog can't stay in the shelter for a year and a half. And if there's no proper training, even if you're doing the best training with these dogs at the shelter, it's a stressful environment. They're not like they're not living their best life. They they you know they're working with with um, even being in a kennel environment. It's it's not ideal. So you know if you can have people that can foster these dogs and help them, but a lot of trainers do it as well. But there's just not enough of us doing this with these dogs so you know that, that's the most it's all about resources yeah. you know that, that that's and look and some dogs just they, they aren't going to get fixed like you know or their behaviors aren't going to be solved in in this short amount of time and if it's going into the wrong hands or to the wrong people's um like lack of experience owners you're going to have drama so sometimes sometimes it's better to be focusing 
and giving 80% to all the dogs that have the milder and can be their best 100% selves rather, and then 20% on, and I just pull these numbers out of mass, um, on the dogs that are on the, on the fence, can we save this dog or not? Because a lot of the times you have to weigh it up when these dogs, are these dogs coming back because of behavioral issues? Are they, have they attacked the dog and now they're um, having to be put down because of that? You know, we want to try to prevent some of that as well. It's a tough one. It's really hard. And, um, you know, and we should be focusing staff on the euthanasia list, but you have to pick and choose which dogs, because if you have 10 of them, that's a lot of dogs that are very badly human aggressive or dog aggressive like how can you fix that if there's two of them we work on it depending on the severity and you have to know that each individual dog um you, you have to be able to assess it every single dog that's coming into the shelter always should be assessed um behavior assessment health check they do lots of health checks but a lot of the times they're not doing behavior assessments so how do well, we that's, know that's again are? like you've got to have a someone who who when who's to receiving these dogs who knows what they're looking for right like yeah we've got to be had the right education the right experience the right and training and you can you can get people to come on, but when I worked at the in the shelter environment, it's like it's minimum wage, man. It's not you're not getting you're not getting paid. Um, exactly. It's not like it's a handsome fee. So you know you want to bump those prices up from management, so we can start getting some some people that actually want to work there for their heart, but also for their for their money as well. Then you mm. get paid. Um, fixing like extreme issues with adoptable dogs. Are we up to that one yet? Fixing less extreme issues with adoptable dogs. Yeah, escaped entity, pulling on the leash, mild, moderate leash reactivity. Focus heaps on those ones. Focus heaps on B because those dogs can become aggressive. So we want to just try to make sure that these dogs stay in their new Catch homes. them before they become 100%. Yeah, too much. And the fearful issue. dogs, fear-based aggression. If we see um, heaps of a turnaround for these dogs and people are really into it, volunteers and staff, cool, keep that going. That's awesome. Um, it's a numbers game too, right? Because if you if yeah. you can manage the the ones that are like, let's say, let's let's give it like a scale. So there's like if you if you're rating like the problems that the dog has, and it's like zero to ten, and you've got a lot of dogs in the like three to four, three to five, three to six range, and you can manage those dogs and get them out of the shelter into homes, then you have more time to spend on the other dogs that are at that really high end, right? Yeah. Look, the problem is that there's no cool shelters. Like, no, we keep this dog forever. And kudos to you guys, man. If you can pull it off and that dog lives its best life and he's not rotting and having a shit experience, I'm all for that. But when you work at a shelter and you have max, like a maximum capacity and you're starting to accumulate, you know, more than four or five really aggressive, properly aggressive dogs, like the dogs that, you know, like Nook and, to be honest, if you can get those, the the ones that have the the jumping escape tendency, like those ones, those get adopted easy because we want every single person that walks in that shelter, if they're keen and and they fit the profile for that dog, we want those dogs out of there. And if they're jumping and barking and carrying on acting like idiots, people aren't going to want that dog. So those are the mm-hmm. easy ones because it's very like I'm not going to say depending on the area, but you're not getting heaps and heaps in our area in Southern Shire Council Animal Shelter, when like where I'm I'm helping out, we're not getting heaps and heaps of um, people aggressive, dog aggressive and bad resource guarding. You get, you get them, but they're not happening like every single week sort of thing. So, mm. you know, my, my uh, um, focus is probably coming from that. I don't know how many she gets, but you know, um, if you're getting bitten every week, that's, that's a, that's not a good, good set of numbers. So maybe she's not getting bitten every week, but Let's hope she not. looks like she cops some. Um, I hope that answers that question Four. How would you utilize volunteers and fosters more? 
increase compliance for any programs implemented to help dogs. Increase compliance for any programs implemented to help dogs. I don't know. 100% I'm not sure what, what means, she means so. by the second part, but how would you utilize volunteers and fosters more? Well, again, it's uh, exactly what we said. I'm harping on about the same thing, but it's resources, right? Like fosters helps the dogs get out of the physical space of the shelter. So you have more, by definition, no, you have more she physical is, space. No, she's got them. She wants to utilize them more. So train them and get them listening to things like our podcasts and other podcasts or different videos. Um, once every two weeks, everyone gets together, you know, on a Thursday night and we all, it's just no dogs involved. We talk about training and educating and doing things like that. I think that's keeping community, everyone talking together. We want fosters to know the volunteers and the volunteers to know the staff. We want everyone to know each other and doing that, keeping it more social. So we're all doing it for the dogs, but we're all in together, keeping mm -hmm. consistency. Like what was really cool when I was volunteering at the shelter is I will help the dog. I'm working on the dog. And then um, I'll usually see some of these more difficult dogs. I'll see them, um, you know, two months later and it would only be a week between me seeing that dog at the shelter. And now he's a new home. He knows who I am. We show the owners what we, what I've been doing just a very little bit once a week with our dog. The dog remembers what a marker is. You know, and he may not be the most proficient at it, but they're like, wow, the dog already knows how to do this. And then, if we can have a foundation, everyone speaking the same language with your local trainers, then when they go out to the new home, the dog's already a step ahead. We just need to teach the, the owners what to do. And, um, and I think that's sort of, that, that's how I would utilize um, volunteers and fosters more is to make sure that we're all being consistent educate with them. these. Yeah. Educate yeah. them with the same sort of structure of training and behavior. Sweet. Uh, recommendations for enrichment. Let's just do both of these together. Recommendations for enrichment and recommendations for environmental management. Okay. Well, I guess with enrichment, you want to, as I said, if you can get a whole bunch of Kongs donated and um, for some of those dogs meals, if we can just start filling them up, I know it can be a bit of a time of cleaning them and getting them sorted. So if we can't do that, what I would suggest is people look, you have to rely on donations depending on what's coming in. You can't give dogs like dangerous things. You know, you don't want to really, you can give them like, you know, obviously once every week, once, you know, twice a week, the local um, butcher can bring in some, you know, appropriate bones, like, you know, some turkey necks or brisket bones, chicken carcasses, things like that. That could be um, good for the dogs, but sometimes you have to be careful, of course, with resource guarding and, and things like that. Dogs don't eat it. And it goes, you know, um, you know, foul in, in, in the kennel and things like mm. that. Um, but, one thing that was what was the best is, um, you know, most shelters play music. I always played Bob Marley um, and, and the dogs always were super chill to that. And that was legit. Dogs actually were really calm when they listened to Bob Marley. hundred um, percent. Up at Dural, yeah. Glenn always has the classical music after like 4 p.m. The classical music goes on and it, and it stays on until the morning. And then yeah. the radio goes on during the day. But you, ha but you have to listen to classical music while you work there, and that can kind of get a bit boring after. Mm, no, but by the end of the day, they're, they're, most of them are gone. The radio is on during the day and then like around 4 or 5 o'clock. Yeah, but no radio. Radio sends the dogs nuts. It, it's a it's a wrong frequency, the wrong vibration. I, I found that it was too jittery. The songs were random. The dogs didn't like it. Um, playing things like uh, – I was playing like Spirit Flute, um, Bob Marley or, you know um, – 
different things that, that, you know, that, so that could be a form of enrichment. You need to enrich the freaking humans as well as the, as the dogs. Otherwise, man, you, you, you hate working there, man. Like you love the dogs, you love everything, but it's draining. It's taxing. It's super difficult. It is, it is not an easy place to work. And that's why there's a high turnover which mm. means that there's less consistency, which means, and then that's how the, ultimately that's how the dogs, ultimately it comes down to the dogs. Like, yeah. Um, yeah but we turn over like, and that sort of thing. The dogs are the ones that end up suffering, right? Like it's, it, it, and, sure. and everything there is ultimately about the dogs. Look, man, like at Southern, Southern Shire and um, Sin Dogs and Cats Home, we, we weren't putting dogs down. Like there was dogs that would stay there for two years, man. We just have him there and we worked on him every day and he was a dog that could probably the most out of all the other dogs. And with the training that we we're doing with the dog, as well as um, finding the right owner, man, those dogs found actually found a good home, the best enrichment for, for most of these dogs. So um, I know I'll probably mention this a couple of times, but when I worked um, at Sydney dogs and cats home, the privately owned one, there was um, the cattery that was getting um, cleaned out. They, that someone donated heaps of money for a new cattery. So that was pretty cool. And, um, and there was this big space available. So some of the dogs that were the most intense, I wanted them to play with other dogs. That's the best enrichment. So I'd use that space, get four or five dogs in there that would play. Um, I was obviously managing it. Got to go, and when you're there every day, you get into a, a rhythm of who can be there, how much you have to supervise, blah, blah, blah. Um, you, the dogs that were in there are the ones that don't need constant supervision, but they're getting, they're getting play time. Um, do that, rotate them every hour with another group of dogs. And then that's how you socialize them and you can monitor it. And hey, I kind of developed a bit of a knack to it myself and, um, and and things like that, which was pretty cool. However, that was the best form of enrichment. If you can't do that with some of the other dogs, stuff toys, cardboard boxes, give them branches from the tri- like from the from the park, just give them stuff to destroy. Um, obviously being careful that some dogs do swallow things and you have to be careful about what you give certain dogs. But um, you know, training and getting those volunteers um, helping out. As I said, if everyone can be working on some, just some basic marker system, it kind of keeps the place a little bit more excited, um, exciting for the dogs and a bit more chemically um, enriched, you know, Engaging, thinking about, yeah, yeah Mind I'm going to get a reward for this time, yeah. you know, but yeah. Um, recommendations for environmental management. Um. I don't know if I know if I fully understand. I think she means the physical environment of the kennel itself. Like mm-hmm. any tips on okay. yeah, what yeah, should or shouldn't be done. You know what I mean? The same way we would manage a dog within our house. How are we, yeah, what yeah. are we, what are your, okay. what are your, what's the go-tos for managing in a shelter? Make sure the dogs can't really see each other. No kennels like, you know, opposite other, not, not a lot of the times that happens. Um, mm, if you, it should be if, like you, a you know, brick wall between each, between each run as opposed to like chain link or whatever. Well, like, you know, like just, I don't, I don't want dogs like really like looking at each other. Like fence fighting and stuff like that. Yeah. And they're just, they're, they're just triggered by each other. I don't know. Like if you can, if you can get mm. away with that, like most of the shelters, um, there's two shelters I worked at, even the kennels or there was all, it was all bricked or petitioned one way or another dog couldn't see each other. Um, but when they see each other, they're just barking at each other. They're freaking out, um, creates more reactivity. Uh, make sure the place is clean, you know, like all the time you want that place clean. Yeah. Um, and F-10, you can be surprised, man. I think it's called, isn't it? That's like, that's like the standard veterinary. No, look, you, um, no, so you clean with like a normal, like a, a like a, obviously like a cleaning grade disinfectant, like just like a deter, um, a, um, 
like you know that eucalyptus sort of sort of thing you don't really want to use bleach either kind of messes with the dog's um, paws and that um Mm. so you use like this like normally like the pino clean style disinfectant Mm. but just more a lot more um stronger um diluted the right amount so what you how i would clean the kennel anyway is you go in there clear it all out physically give it a hose down everything's clean you chuck the disinfectant in you scrub it scrub it you let it sit for like however long 15 minutes um so once you do the run you come back and then you um you hose it out you squeegee it you throw the f10 after f10 is like a you usually use it in a fogger like and then you Mm -hmm. see like you know when they clean the COVID thing they got like that that fogger there Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. just kind of goes everywhere and it kills other things but um or there's another brand called trigene does the same sort of thing um you can chuck that in as well and then scrub it as well. But the fog is the best because it gets everywhere. Um, but we had the fogger mainly at pet resorts where um, when I was at Sindos and Cats Home, there's no, um, they wouldn't have the resources for that shit. Um, and, you know, and I probably um, gurney the um, pressure hose it at least once a week. Um, so keep the place clean. Just though there's random places that you don't think of, like all the the halls, that all makes a difference. You don't want people slipping and tripping and, and, and things like that. In terms of um, the dogs, I think, I'm not going to add too much to it because I'm not really thinking about it. There's not many, as you said before, those transitional spaces, make sure people aren't coming in at the same time um, around a bend or a corner. And then, you know, so put those little round mirror things up so you can see what's mm-hmm. happening on either end. Like driveway um, mirrors. Like, yeah. Yeah. Or like, Hey, we're going one way this way and it's a one way that way. So we're not getting tripped up depending on how small the place is. Um, having double gate systems everywhere. You want an airlock. Yep. So, you know, people aren't losing dogs and also. Um, and spring loaded gates wherever possible, you know, like um, auto closing yeah, gates. Gate, yeah. Every yeah. gate should, should be auto closed for sure. Um, and also just make sure everything's bars, up to date. bars at all the gates, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. That, 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 that definitely helps. Well, it kind of gets annoying though, you know, but, um, but yeah, especially when there's like a kennel cough outbreak, then everything has to be, it's not as annoying as getting yelled at by Glenn. Yeah, that's for sure. For not putting it, <laughs> for not using the whole park. That's definitely true. Um, you know, okay, and I no. think just making sure everything's up, up to date, um, lock wise, gate wise, because you don't want gates busting open. Uh, make sure your equipment, collars, leashes, the slip leads, um, everything's up to date and reviewed regularly. All the leashes that volunteers use, you know, because when things snap and break, equipment check, fight. yeah, all the all time, G snaps, check all the threads on the leash, all that kind of stuff, the stitching, make sure it's a reputable brand like ROGS or something like that. No cheap, definitely. You know, crap off eBay or whatever. Wherever from Ironswick, check out Ironswick. Um, uh, yeah, do they ship to the states? <laughs> uh, probably. Um, but I anyway, mean, a lot I of think... the best gear is made in the in the states anyway, so I'm sure they have access to it on some yeah, level. Or Germany, Germany for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, look, I think I think those are some of the 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 common ones that are coming straight to my mind. So I think yeah, let's go seven. Okay. Because we're halfway. You want to do you want to do the other six, or you want to split it into a, let's smash another? it. We got it. All right, bro. We got this. Okay. Behavior assessments have long been contested by shelter workers and behaviorists alike. Do you have any suggestions for improvements? A. How can staff feel more confident and comfortable making judgment calls on some of the more difficult dogs when it can mean euthanasia for the dog? Man, I think. That's a well, tough they, one there's, a, there's an old saying, right? They say you put three dog trainers in a room or three dog pe- people who know stuff about dogs in a room. The only thing that two of them will agree on is what the third did wrong. So that's like part and parcel of the dog industry always. 
Yeah, look, I think I think I think that's just human politics. You put three professionals, especially together, with dogs. It? I think it's yeah. like there's it's just it, it's a particular style. For of- sure. Look, it's not up to, I guess, dog trainers to know, like obviously a dog trainer and a behaviorist should should be able to make this call. But you know as being the manager and if you've been there for a, for a long time in that environment, you know you get a feel for which dogs are going to be able to, like you see that dog in, oh, I see that dog in two weeks' time. I can see where he's going to be at. Yeah, mm-hmm. he'll be able to adjust and adapt quicker or differently than this dog. Um, so there's a little bit of a coming from both ends of it, like from behavior-wise and, and assessing dogs' behavior, but also seeing how dogs and how specific dogs work in this sort of kennel environment is that um, I guess the best thing to do is just making sure that there's someone's uh, um, qualified if possible, but also um, experienced enough because you don't have to be qualified to, to be able to assess the dog, um, but it'll be ideal and depending on who qualifies that dog. But you have well, to make sure as – Like dog behaviour stuff. It's like, who, like we have the NDTF here, but it's like, you know, like, yeah, but like who, who decides who's that... qualified and who's not. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it it, like, it look, varies from country to country. Like Australia is one of the only countries that has like a really sort of – Solid. How about educated then? How about mm. a qualification that you know of that gives a good form and of experience. education? Yeah. And then also you need experience. Yeah, you can read all the books and be qualified. That means nothing. That doesn't mean mm. you, you, you're a, you're a behaviorist or you're a trainer. That means that you've just got a certificate and you've learned some stuff. What's really mm-hmm. important when it comes to assessing a dog in particular and then knowing what judgment call you need to make is um, make sure that you as a manager, and I'm assuming she's a manager, is make sure that, she does a double check on the dog and then look has, has a look when it comes to like, I, I think this dog, like how, let me talk about my experience. then. when we assess dogs and we didn't, we assessed every single dog, not at the beginning, but we made sure that happened and it did take a little bit of time, you know, 20, half an hour um, mm. to be able to assess the dog in, in all areas. And once doing the check, that doesn't, that's not a guarantee. We just put that in the file and then we would assess it once a month. We'll just do another assessment on the dog and then we'll look back and then review it, um, review the month before when he first came in and then what he's like now. And we did that for two reasons. It's good to kind of be on, on um, so everyone knows if I was sick for a week, someone can look at that folder and know where that dog's at. Mm-hmm. And we did that specifically for that, but also you start to see a pattern in behavior. So if you can do things like that, and um, again, if you have the time for it, um, I can, that can be a really handy thing to do, but also, you know, it was very rare where I thought I'd go to the manager and she wasn't a behave, behavior lady. She was the, the, the vet of the, of the establishment, but, um, but she was like the overarching manager and I'd be like, Hey, look, this is what I think. And, and if you can, and I hated doing it very seldom did we do it, but when it had to happen, it has to happen and you have to have that conversation. So I guess you have to have that trust with, the individual, you know, not someone that wants to kill every dog because it's too hard or they're scared and you don't want someone who wants to keep every single dog and then put everyone else at risk. So you need to weigh that up. Um, Mm. How can they feel more confident and comfortable? You just got to get in there and do it, you know, and I found that, you know, I'm not as emotional as the general female, for example, and the girls struggle in that environment. What I found there was, hey, like this dog's getting put down because it was council orders or, you know, just the weight of each day was so intense and they'll be breaking down. And I was never used to that environment. I was used to all boy school, all boy, um, you know, working environments. And then now being the only male in this, you know, 20 or 10 people um, staff, um, you know, even the volunteers as well. So it was, it was quite, um, quite um, difficult, difficult, right. Mm. Um, But I guess, 
I guess the only thing I could say about that is that make sure you have good educated people, but also people with good experience and um, have two people on the team that can review the, the harder dogs, you know, but keep an eye on these dogs and do progress reports once a, once every three weeks or four weeks can be better because the dogs that stays for within the month, why do you have to keep an eye on that behavior? Mm. If you know, he's going to get easily mm. adopted. All what right. do you reckon of that? That was all right. Yeah. Makes sense, man. Cool. It's there's never an easy there's never an easy answer. That's that's yeah, like, and also that's we why can we're talk here, for, right? We can talk for hours on each of these points. So yeah, mm, but we're not going to. All right, no. <laughs> hey, what is the most challenging type of dog to work with in a shelter environment? Mm, that's a that's like how long is a piece of string, right? There's definitely dogs that are more overrepresented in the shelter environment because of their behavior, and it's sort of a self fulfilling prophecy, right? It's like these dogs, certain breeds have certain behavioral characteristics and they end up in the pound in a sort of un, not like the most ideal environment, which can exa- exacerbate any problems that they may have already had. So it's a, kind of like this spinning wheel of. Look, the most challenging type of dog, like obviously each breed um, will be different, right? But um, I, I'm going to say more the one that is the, um, look, the, the higher energy breeds dogs. are overrepresented, aren't they? Yeah, but like they can be the most difficult. These things need so, so much more stimulation than they're not. And because there's so many of them coming in, you're going to mm-hmm. see more of those behaviors. But look, the most challenging type of dog is, is hands down the one that, that that is aggressive. So any aggressive cases, whether it's dog, person, or resource guarding issues, because you have to fully manage those dogs and they're a lot harder to to work with and have less people handle these dogs. But um, the dogs that are that are fearful are the worst because sometimes they can get a lot worse being at the shelter as well. So, you know, the, the most for me personally, the most challenging type of dog are the ones that are scared. The ones that are happy-go-lucky, full of energy, the volunteers are happy to take them out. We know that they have a higher requirement, so sometimes they get um, the extra goodness from, from, from the um from the volunteers, but the fearful ones for me personally, dogs don't warm up to me as, as good as I can be in the presence of a higher energy dog and be able to calm it down. You know, like there's like everyone has individually their, like, for example, there was a dog that was scared, scared of men. I'm not the dog to be handling that dog. I'll be like, Hey, Abby, can you um, Mm. just, um, can you, can you move that dog so you can clean the kennel? You sort that one out. So you got to allocate, specific people for for specific dogs. And I think that's really important as well um, to make sure that you're using the right person for the right in, um, individual dog. I think that, that could be a good way to answer that question because for me, fearful dogs that need more confidence building is the more difficult one to work with because you're on a timeline. You got, you got to clean those kennels and you got to make sure everything's on, on um, everything, all the to-do list has been done for the day before we start doing the extra. And the problem is the extra is training. It's the most important. And yeah. Is, is, is a really important thing too. So, you know, that, that's, that's, that's the biggest challenge. And I like think that's the long, the, 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 the thing that's going to ha- have the most long-term benefit for the dog, unfortunately falls into the not so necessary. It's the extras. Yeah. And look, the point, the problem with this, and we'll talk you got to clean that. the, you got to clean the kennel and all that other stuff, feed them all that stuff before look, training. She knows, to look in. she knows all of this mm. when I'm talking, I'm sure she'll be like, yeah, of I knew course. this. And yeah, I knew this. Like I know from the little conversation we had that she's very intelligent. However, mm. the problem is the powers that, mm. no, it's the powers that be, bro. She, how does she get the funding? You know, like if it is council, if it is privately owned, like you have to justify it to them. It's these people need to understand the importance of it. Hey, look, training the dog. Come on, man. We're gonna, like the most important thing is health. And 
is the dog a danger? Can we get that dog a new home? Like there's there's priorities and looking at the behavior side of it, hopefully we bring in more awareness to that. But um, that's how I want to answer that question. Nine. Number nine. Uh, how do you feel about no-kill legislation? Is it a practical solution for most shelters? Uh, and what are some things we can focus on to support that mission? Um, do we have that legislation in Australia? I don't think so. I don't think because, we do. No, I, I, I believe we I don't. I think there's certain, there's certain county, counties in the states, don't quote me, but I, I was on Clubhouse the other day. I think someone was saying maybe some of the counties in either LA or like California, Southern California, are, you know, it's, 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 it's um, dictated by like I think the local government. Okay, so like each state for if it was Australia, each state would be different, and that's what it would be like here. Yeah, or um, even I, like I, even the council, you know, like the the smaller local yeah. council. I I would say I don't like that because that's not good for dogs, um, and that sucks to hear because what like you're gonna kill the dog. I get it. It's it's super loaded and it can trigger people. However, it's not a practical solution for most shelters. Where do you keep these dogs? And mm. yeah, that's we, also uh, the- also we're also assuming that every dog is rehomable, which is not the case. Yeah, of course not. It's and the that's ugly the truth why. that there are dogs that, that are, there's some, like there's just something off and, you know, for whatever reason, whether it's some mental, physical combination of both, they just, they're not suitable to be rehomed. Some and dogs that yeah, come in. It's an ugly, riddled, ugly truth. Yeah. Yeah. They're riddled with cancer. They're bad mm. hips. They're 10 and they're not looking good. And they have had a real malnourished life, you know, so sometimes that was the that was the the call that had to be made. It's like, hey, we've all come to a decision that this dog will be euthanized because, like, the dog's terminally ill and mm-hmm. resources, but also now look, not all the time. Again, we weren't heartless. There was times where, like, no, there was a specific person that could foster that dog until the end of it. But there were some dogs that were so far gone, so so ill, so old, it wasn't. Look, as I said, we we're very, very. I think the one um, at Sydney Dogs and Cats, and we at the time we were the lowest kill shelter in New South Wales, or something like that. Like we were very seldom putting dogs down. However, it happened from time to time, and each each um, area is different. There is another council-run pound that I won't say the name of. Which so this is how the rules are in Australia: a dog comes in. If he has a microchip, he has fourteen days of staying at the shelter until they be, be become. Yeah, to be claimed before it becomes the shelter's property. property. Mm-hmm. Um, and then with the dog is not microchipped, it's seven days. And there's shelters and pounds that when it comes to that date, the dogs are on the kill list for the day. So if they don't get rehomed or get, or get rehomed or if they don't get found for adoption within like three days, for example, after that time um, that they're their they're property because you can't sell a dog before it's yours, um, the dogs will be killed regardless of behavior. That I don't agree with um, and that something has to be done about it. But in terms of no kill completely, in terms of we don't ever euthanize a dog regardless of how intense um, their behavior is or how bad their physical state is, um, I think that's I think that's wrong. How can we? You know what's it? ironic about all of this as well is like that. I mean, we live in New South Wales, and realistically, we still have no kill legislation for humans. We don't have euthanasia laws in this state, which I think is absolutely backwards. Like there's other states, I mean, Victoria has them now. The Northern yeah. Territory, it will come here. But like, this is what bro, we're saying about this is what yeah. we're saying about dogs, bro. Like, there's there's mm. dogs that need that we have to advocate for and say this dog is 
mentally, physically not in a place where he he or she should, can or should be rehomed. Um, and but we're quite happy to uh, do the same, like as in to not allow a human who's terminally ill in this state currently to have the same decision about their own life. So exactly, it's pretty yeah, backwards. It's backwards. Look, it's a it's so tough. It's a it's a it's a really look a whole, we can do a whole episode literally just talking about behavioral euthanasia. And I think we should, um, because we can go into heaps of different categories of why and blah, blah, blah. But, um, the best way to support it is by talking about it and not being embarrassed mm. or scared to Don't talk about it. it in the shadows. Man, yeah. We're talking about this now and we're fucking probably freaking people out. So, and they're going to be very, so we have to have the, the courage to be able to speak your truth and look, and I'm willing to change my mind, but at this stage um, from having hand on experience and I love dogs and I don't want any dog to die, but there are some dogs that euthanasia is the best for not just that dog, but also for the community as well. And I think that's really important. We have to think about that. Now, how do we focus on supporting it? The basic thing is make dog training a normal thing. Make sure that we're not breeding dogs unnecessarily, keep it to breeders, um, you know, making sure that dogs aren't going into the shelter and they're not having issues if we have lower numbers, again, New South Wales compared to where you're from, maybe heaps different because of population and blah, blah. Um, mm. You know, we could talk about this up in Darwin. There's probably like a thousand dogs that need a home compared to New South Wales where, you know, there's three dogs in the shelter. Normally there's like mm. 20, 40 dogs, um, you know, sort of thing. To have three blew my mind. Um, and I think hopefully the best way to support the mission is exactly like what we're doing now. Make sure that we have good dogs and we're raising them good from young. And mm. um we make sure that we don't have to have this issue, but we live on earth and we have, this is just the chaos of life. There's order and chaos and this is the part of it. Right. Um, all right. 10. 10. What, uh, how do you feel about adopting out bonded pairs? So dogs, like two dogs at the same time, two dogs that are mm-hmm. sort of have either maybe come in together or have become very close while they were at the pound. Look, it really depends on the action, the individual dogs, but generally, especially when they're young, like two sibling dogs come at the same time and they're like 10 months old, they're in two candles straight away. And we've done an Not, episode on this. Yeah, we separate them and be like, you guys live your own lives. If you, if people want to come and buy two dogs and they buy those two, then that's cool, but they don't live together. Separation, mm-hmm. blah, blah. But also, she's not good for the dogs. It's not feasible. Um, about adopting them out, look, like if they're like – two dogs that are six years old and they've lived their whole life together and they like inseparable and they love each other, like far out, man, adopt the, the bonded pair for sure. Um, if they're like 10 months old, no, <laughs> um, that's what, I, unless, you know, and go back and listen to our episode on that. <laughs> yeah. But, um, Which I'm sure she has anyway. So yeah. Um, I think so hopefully, but I think, but look, and I think, look, sometimes they're six years old. They can't live together. They're just too intense. Like two people aren't getting these two border collies. It is not happening. Um, mm. The likelihood of people coming to get two six-year-old border collies that are mental for each other, they're really intense. Now nah, let's give these guys a bit of individual. Um, so like they're two sweet corgis. Hey, two little sweet poodles and they're cool together. Let them go together. Even if they're two sweet Labradors, I don't care the size of the dog. Um, but if you need to get two dogs that are really, it could be the same Labradors, um, that – they're just way too much. They're way too intense. Having them together um, for the whole time and then adopting them out to people that are inexperienced, bad idea. So it comes down to the experience of the owners. That's mm-hmm. all it comes down to really. Yeah. 11. What are some of the most useful tools shelter workers can utilize, A, in their daily tasks, and B, special tools and activities such as agility equipment, etc. The most useful tools you have. Your your slip leash, a treat pouch full of the highest value food, get some hot dogs and cut them up into small pieces. Um, 
I think muzzles. Um, yeah, have some good muzzles, no bullshit Velcro ones, nice basket muzzles, um, and start teaching those dogs how to wear them if you need to. Um, you know, special tools and activities like agility equipment, that'd be cool, you know, but I'd say mm, make really sure cool. there's again, yard. resources, right? Like, yeah, if, if there's enough yard to have five dogs that are all cool to play with each other, that is awesome. That's the best mm. sort of um, enrichment. Um, but yeah, agility equipment can be cool. You know, we have, um, you know, they have them down at Southern Shire um, shelter there. They have, um, you know, the A-frame and the, the, um, a couple of jumps and things like that. Really, really cool. If you can do that, it just needs to be utilized more in my opinion to get those volunteers understanding how to play with these dogs. Um, but also like special tools, of course, you know, um, whatever tools that you need, basically what we used, what I used exclusively when I worked at the shelter and even with the ones that we work on now, we only use martingale and um, slip leads. Um, and that slip leads are great, happy. especially in, in kennels because you you literally get the leash up in like three seconds. Oh, yeah, everyone, right. everyone that works in a kennel always uses the, the slip lead. Like, you know, mm. you're not. They're often just called dog. kennel leads as well. Because yeah, you just slip it off, slip it off. They're so fast and it's a collar and leash in one. Yeah, I, I I really like slip leads, but you can get now better. Like in these last ten years, the the amount of good slip leads you can get now is mm. is better. So get a good strong slip lead when you're using it. I think it's um, in in Dota. No, I can't remember the brand. The one that I got from um when I was up at Drill, they were very solid, yeah. and they were made. I'm pretty sure they were American made. Yeah, but I can't remember the brand. Sorry, I've got some from um from Jason from Ironswick. They're pretty good. The death grip ones, they're, they're, they're pretty solid, but look, the, what I do is all the volunteers when they're out of the property, no one's on a slip lead. They're on a martingale collar. That's it. Um, and, and that that's, and make sure they're all good martingales. They're not rusted, blah, blah, blah. blah. So yeah. I think and we, the we, that are, we generally that are, use the ROGS brand of martingale. They're, they're like the gold standard. They're, yeah. They, they work. I wouldn't say gold standard, but they, they're good. They work. They work and they have all sizes and, I've never had one fail on me, but um, just make sure everything's up to date and in their daily tasks. I think that's it. Make sure that we're assessing the dogs, have a tree pouch, every single dog, um, dog um, worker, anyone who's working there, tree pouch full of food. I think that's the best thing. 12 last one. Lucky last Uh, shelter workers aren't the quote unquote bad guys. How can we help dispel this perception and garner support from the public rescues and other influential groups? Hmm. I don't know about this one because I don't, is that like, I don't really know. Is that to to my mind that here anyway in Australia, I don't think there's. We're cool guys, man. I've never heard anyone speak poorly of a shelter worker. So I don't know what the politics are like in the States. But I know what she's talking about, though. It's the ones that go, oh, you work, the dogs go to the pound where they die, you know, and um, that's the general, maybe it's not so much now, but definitely 10 years ago, dogs go to the shelter to die. They're at the dog pound. That's where they go to get euthanized. Mm-hmm. So there, there could be a bit of a stigma maybe in her neck of the woods. There's um, there's a little bit more of that stigma. Um, but if let's just say shelter workers look like they are the bad guys, the best thing to do is just my perception and garner support. Put put all those good videos out there, before and after videos of what you do with dogs, and um, make it emotional. You know, make a clickbait sort of um, on, on your social medias. Um, you know, get these dogs out there um, at local events so you can like raise awareness of what you guys do. Mm. Um, do like you know, get those really dogs, like do. dramatic before and after videos. People love that stuff, man. Those like yeah, adoption videos. You know the 
footage of the dog coming in and really obviously in a bad way and then going home with its happy family, like up to the after that, mate, that stuff well, like gets sh- the tears going. Have, no, but not even just that. How about what you guys actually are doing? And like, so some of the, look, basically when you look at her Instagram, keep doing what you're doing and those cool videos you're putting up, working with those dogs, giving them enrichment, giving them socialization, all that mm. sort of stuff. Just People keep are curious. Doing what you're like, doing. Sh- don't, don't give them any cause to assume that you're doing you know stuff no, look, that's below sounds, board. Like if you if you yeah. show, you're transparent and everything you're doing is good and you're able to show that because that's like we're in that age of social media now where everyone's curious they want to see behind the scenes. If you're able to show that and show the good work that you're doing, then people will people will flock to that. Well, look, Sahari, um, whatever you're putting up there, I'm loving all your content. So just keep doing it, um, and we're gonna. Oh, what's her? Um, we'll link. Instagram? We'll link it in the show notes. So I'm gonna say it now in follow. case in case she's. In case you don't, it's Wolf Mother. You'll find it. But um, we'll, we will put in the show notes 100%. Um, but, yeah, she's got some really cool videos. Just awareness, just keep doing it. And make sure it's not just on in Instagram and Facebook because the world doesn't live there. The world lives in the flesh. Get these dogs that are – I don't know, man. Up, People uh, spend a lot of time on social yeah, media. Keep doing it. Obviously, we know each other because of the media platform. It's not like I've been in America anytime soon, so I get it. Mm. This is where we're at. Um, mm. Keep doing all of that. I, I want that. But also get your local um, – local community involved, make sure that these are seeing these dogs and being um, habitualized by going to the local shops and obviously the ones that are well-behaved and good handlers or good volunteers, et cetera, get them out there and get people involved and, you know, be in the, in the local things. I know maybe things are hard, you know, COVID, whatever, but I don't think shelter workers have, have a, have a bad guy image. Um, maybe shelters, as I said before, but the actual people, I think we're, we're, we're awesome sort of people. And, um, and every time I used to say, oh, I work at the shelter, people like, Oh my God, they freaked out. Like, you know, um, in a good way, they freaked out. Like they were super excited, um, to, to be speaking with me. So, um, just be cool and don't be, don't be harsh on dogs and, you know, um, don't be too emotional either. Make sure we can help them rationally be there for emotional support. And most of these dogs get good lives. And it's a cool thing now that people want rescue dogs and it's cool to get a dog from the rescue rather than getting the pedigree. So things are changing the next 10, 20 years, who knows um, where we're going to be at unless we keep doing shitty ass breeding. Um, let's keep less dogs in the shelters, keep training our dogs, keep spreading right information because people obviously who are listening to my words right now, are wanting to get some dog training advice, then keep searching dog training advice that you resonate with and that you get results with. Make sure our dogs get the best lives so then they don't have to. So um, we did the whole 12 of them, bro. Yeah, awesome. I was wrong. We made it. We made it. That's probably about an hour, something like that. Yeah, I think it was cool, man. But um, I think there was a few things, you know, and talking about some of that stuff kind of brought up a few memories about, you know, the – um the struggles, but also the good times at the shelters, you know, like Lancelot, the staffy little English staffy after like eight months, finally gets a home. It was like the happiest day in the shelter, you know, because the dog that just comes in and out, you, those are the typical dogs. You still have to work with them. You still bond with them, but the ones that are there for eight months, 12 months, you know, the summer, summer. And what was his name? Um, summer and Wow, I forgot. I can see the dog's face. Anyway, those dogs were there for like a year and a half. Both of them, they were best friends. They were both super reactive. One of them was like a deer hound cross, and the other one was like a massive freaking Great Dane sort of dog. Um, both really undesirable dogs when they first came in. Um, and people are questionable. Oh my God, 
who's going to want to take these dogs is so intense. Um, we did lots of training and like, I basically, they were like the dogs that I would in my spare time, lunchtime be hanging out with and getting them out and about along with their good socialization. They both went to awesome homes and just to, just to have those moments, it's, it's celebratory. It's so fun. It's beautiful. Um, it's what, what inspired me because I only worked at the shelter to get a bit of experience for animal handling. So I wanted to work with big cats and, and things mm. like that. That was my, my initial sort of drive, but working with these animals and having that natural, that sort of instinctive or intuitive sort of way with the dogs. And people would always comment on the same thing. Oh my God, I should work with dogs, blah, blah. Um, it was cool. It's a, it's a special time. You learn a lot about yourself. These are all the reasons why, you know, shelter people aren't bad guys because we, 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 um, you know, you put so much of your time and energy into it. So energetically zapping, like mm. I worked as a brickies laborer in summer, like that was one bricklayer laborer, which was me 18 years old and four full grown men that were bricklayers. And that was demanding physically, but I would come home after that job worked out and tired, but not, like emotionally drained. drained. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Like the, even just the dogs barking for your, for your attention, you get, and then there's not just dogs, bro. You gotta look after the cats. You gotta look after the Guinea pigs and the rabbits and all of all, and then all this and that. And you know, which dog needs a medication? Like there's a lot going on. So I think the mm. best thing that we need is we need higher wages for staff working at shelters and we need to keep people working there. Like no high turnover. I was there for three years and you know, and we had, like so much stuff just turning over. Like, look, there was obviously regulars that we got got to know very well, but I think um, community and culture in these environments are the best thing. It keeps working morale up. We help the dogs better. You're willing to do a bit of OT for free um, because it just is what it is. And, um, you know, but if we can get volunteers and fosterers all on board to be consistent, I think that's what's going to help um, the, these sort of places and some rescue organizations, they smash it out. They do the best job. It's the shelters and the pounds where they, they, they cop it a little bit harder because, um, a lot more pressure, you know, and if you're a rescue, you can choose which dog comes in a lot of the time, where if you're at the shelter, this is a dog that was found on the street and still doesn't catch them. We covered 12 councils, um, in Sydney. That's, that's a lot of dogs. Um, we had like 4,000 animals come in through the year, you know, um, mm. you know, so, it's anyway. a lot of work, man. Yeah, it was good right, fun, let's man, wrap it up. Yeah. Anyway, thank you for listening to another episode. Really appreciate you guys. And um, any questions, hit us up. And if they're really long ones like this one, then um, then me and Luke will, will talk about it. But um, but yeah, man, thank you very much for listening and good to see you again, my bro. Hope you guys enjoyed the episode. Um, hit us up at all the usual places. And when you're listening to this, Sahari, I want I want you to tag us in your story. And we'll reshare it. Yes, 100%. All right. And anyone else who's listening to it, we like to hear from you guys. Don't, we don't like yeah. to be too much of a one-way thing. We like, we like to hear from you. So hit us up. Definitely. Much love. Find us on Instagram and all that, all that good stuff. All right. Bye. Thank you for listening to another show of Life With Your Dog. Please like, rate, and share if you're enjoying our podcast. You can also find us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. For all dog training videos, tips, and techniques, visit nooches Thank you and stay tuned for next time.